we have an opportunity now to really ask those questions, to challenge what we've been told, is this normal? And at the same time, there's really, there's no room for doing that work if we are dwelling in a place of shame and blaming ourselves. Because as long as we can remember being taught about our body, we have been told that our body is a source of shame in one way or another. Welcome to Naturally Well, a podcast to help you live a healthier and happier life with a Nordic twist. I'm your host, Kate Turner, registered dietitian, personal trainer, Nordic Naturals nutrition specialist, and owner of Live Well with Kate. Today's guest is Dr. Jolene Brighton. Dr. Brighton is a naturopathic doctor, a hormone expert, nutrition scientist, and thought leader in women's medicine. She is board certified in naturopathic endocrinology and trained in clinical sexology. Dr. Brighton is the author of Is This Normal? A Non-Judgmental Guide to Creating Hormone Balance, Eliminating Unwanted Symptoms, and Building the Sexual Desire You Crave. A fierce patient advocate and completely dedicated to uncovering the root cause of hormonal imbalances, Dr. Brighton empowers women worldwide to take control of their health and their hormones through her website and social media channels. Dr. Brighton is an international speaker, clinical educator, and medical advisor with the tech community, not to mention one of the most engaging docs on social media. In this episode, Dr. Brighton shares common hormonal issues that we may think are normal, but aren't, like heavy or painful periods, low libido, and various other symptoms. We also discuss foods and supplements that can help balance out our hormones during symptomatic times, like when we're experiencing those unwanted PMS symptoms. There are so many symptoms women just put up with because we think they're normal and so many others experience them as well. But Dr. Brighton is here to break down what's normal and what's not so you can start to feel your best. Dr. Brighton, welcome to the show. This has probably been for me at least over a year of trying to get you on. So I am super excited to pick your brain and we've already been having so much fun. So I know this is going to be not only so informative for our listeners, but also just a great conversation. Um, I'd love for you to just start off with telling our listeners a little bit more about your journey and how Mm -hmm. you ended up growing so passionate and down the path in the field of women's hormones. Okay, so let me just like first, before I talk about me, say that don't take it personal that you had a hard time getting me on the podcast for a year. I had a baby. Um, and I actually, like two weeks before I delivered my son, I signed a new book deal. <laughs> so I was also writing a book and hearing postpartum and doing the not sleep thing with a baby. And I feel like um, having a baby at 40, I was a much wiser woman in that I was like, not going to take on too much stuff. So um, don't take it personal. And also lots of people are like, like have felt this way. Like, why is she dodging me on this podcast? It's not you. It's me not having enough sleep or energy or being able to do all the things. I just want to say, please don't judge me for that. No, which I can honestly totally relate to. And I respect you for saying no to things. But also let's like, we're going to toot your horn a little bit. You're also pretty amazing. And there's a lot of people coming at you want to hear you speak and you're writing books and you're doing all the things. So don't leave that. I have a pretty fun life. It is true. Yeah. Um, I never saw it. Like I never went to medical school with the idea of like, I am going to write a book. Um, And yet when I look back at, uh, you know, where I was at, even in grammar school, elementary school. And my teachers were like, you're such a great writer. Like you should be a writer. And that I was very science minded. So I was like, writers write Harry Potter, right? Um, And I never really thought about like actually write a book that helps women, you know, put the medicine basically in their hands to be able to navigate their body. Like what, what an idea. Um, And here I am. And that's what I do. Uh, So, you know, all of this got started really with me pursuing nutrition as a kid who struggled for over a decade with GERD. So that's uh, for people who don't know, it's basically just heartburn, um, which children are not supposed to get. And I had gastritis, which children are not supposed to get. And um, a decade of that, and they discover H. pylori and I get tested. And there it is. I have H. pylori. Um, But during that time, even when I got treated, my doctor had said to me, like, this is just the way it's going to be. Like, you, like, here here are your antacids. This is your life. Like, um, 
And it was then at 17 when I got this diagnosis that I started to like piece together, like, wait a minute, if I drink orange juice and have pasta sauce and refined carbohydrates, um, if I go to the, fa- the, the drive-through um, window and hit up that fast food, because yes, everybody's always like, oh, you've been in nutrition so long. Like you must have always been perfect. No, no friend, definitely. I was a teenager, okay? Um, I did go through adolescence just like everybody else. Um, but I noticed that it got really bad heartburn and I would feel worse even after clearing the H. pylori infection, even after like, you know, all this repeat testing and I still got really sick. And so it was then that I started to take a really big interest in my food. And I started just to experiment with things, realizing that like food, like as I changed my diet, like my mood got better. Like these, there's certain things that, you know, started to improve about myself. And so that's what made me pursue my education in nutrition. And so um, I took both the didactic route. I'm a super nerd for anybody listening, both the didactic, which is you become a registered dietitian, but I decided I didn't want to work in hospitals where most doctors didn't even respect you. Um, And at the same time, I was pursuing my nutrition science. I went into my master's for nutritional biochemistry. And at that point, really recognized that in the research I was doing, I didn't want to just do research that doctors never read and never really affected change in the individual. And that's when I discovered naturopathic medicine. I was actually on route to get my PhD in nutrition. And um, like, it's still hard to say, like I threw away a full ride scholarship and decided to become a naturopathic physician instead. And honestly, it's the best decision I ever made. But still, there's that super nerd in me that's like, oh, that would have been so cool to be that nerdy. Um, and I really thought I was going to study gut health. That's really what I thought it was going to be all about because that was my journey. And then I came, I just had this epiphany one day sitting in class of like, oh my God, women's medicine is always done to them. It's not done with them. It's never something that I go to the doctor and the doctor says, hey, you know, here's your options. Like, here's what we know as the informed consent said. But really, like, what would you like to do? And let's have a partnership there. So much of it, I mean, even the guy exam, right? It's like, slide down. Okay. Like, and then it's just done to you. Like, they're inserting a speculum. Like, and my mentors in school, they always ask permission. And, and they were like, you have to, like, this is when, like, so everything was well over a decade ago. I've been in practice for a decade. And at that point, um, you know, consent wasn't a big part of the conversation. And I was being exposed to that where practitioners were like, we need to always have the conversation of consent if we are asking this woman to, ha- you know, make sure that she has consent in other avenues of her life, especially her sexual health. We need to be a place where she can really start to build that boundary. Um, so having this nerdy background, including a degree in chemistry, again, I'm a nerd. Um, that's when it just hit me that endocrinology is really my jam. Like I love complex biochemical pathways. I love using nutrition to really like basically, you know, get those pathways to do what, what you want them to do. This is why I love chemistry so much. Um, and so that really made sense for me. And that's why I pursued that. I'm board certified in NASPAT like endocrinology, which means that I am an integrative hormone doctor. We can talk about, you know, all of the options and I can support you in whatever your decision is for your health. Yeah, no. And I love, I have to say, like, right, I love the title you chose for your book, Is This Normal? Because how many times a day? <laughs> Do do us as women ask ourselves, and I'm sure men too, but ask yourself like, is, is this normal? Like I know I do all the time, especially right now being pregnant and like always in the postpartum phase too. But there are so many things where I notice with clients that I have that they just assume, you know, which we're going to dive into what, you know, what is normal and what's not. But we just have these assumptions that, we either think things are normal that shouldn't be, or we're, we ask ourselves, is this normal? And then we ignore it and we don't do anything about it. And then it can well, kind of manifest. Let me just say that I think it's really easy for us to go into a shame and blame kind of mode of like, yeah. we ask this question and then we ignore it. But why do we ignore it? Because medical gaslighting is a real thing because um, we get gaslit. Like not only by our medical providers, the people we go to for help, but 
also in other ways uh, throughout our life, we are just told not to trust ourselves, that we can't trust ourselves, that like, you know, the only person that can really know everything about your body to be a person who wears a white coat, right? And that's just not correct. Um, and then there's the generational myths, as I like to call them, the things that just get passed down that like your grandma told your mom, so your mom told you and nobody thought to question, you know, is that actually normal? I mean, I was told, I did not have, um, you know, people had these red ceremonies for their daughters and these beautiful, like, talking to them about their periods. I did not have anything like that. I had a mom who was just like, threw a pack of pads at me and was like, it's going to stop. It's going to hurt. That's just the way it is because she had incredibly painful periods and her mom had incredibly painful periods. And um, so I just, like, accepted for a long time until I found a birth control pill. Now, this can be the only thing that fixes me because that's what my doctor told me. Um, and I never thought to question, like, is it actually a normal experience to bleed more than seven days? It's not. Is it actually a normal experience that I'm missing school one to two days uh, every cycle because I'm in so much pain? And even if I do show up, I'm not doing anything. I'm like, you know, just sitting there spaced out because pain is incredibly distracting. No, none of that is normal. And so I think we have an opportunity now to really ask those questions to challenge what we've been told is this normal and at the same time there's really there's no room for doing that work if we are dwelling in a place of shame and blaming ourselves because um you know as i open up the introduction of the book which you know i'll just share that because nobody reads the introduction i know <laughs> but i hope you read through um, the introduction of the book, I talk just very frankly about for as long as we can remember being taught about our body, we have been told that our body is a source of shame in one way or another, right? There's like um, the yucks and the icks and the, and like the body is like, it, it does some, do some yucky things. It seems yucky, but it's, that's also normal. And we need to normalize the conversations about that. Um, oh, and I just want to say, I can't claim, uh, I did not name the book, Is This Normal? Actually, it was not my idea. I didn't name it, but it is not my idea. It's actually my agent's idea. I was going to call it what the sex ed teacher didn't say, because that's what I really see it. Like everything our sex ed teacher didn't say, but should have so that we could be like fully competent adult women, like embodying ourselves, but also just understanding our bodies. Um, and yeah, in the writing, she's just like all the time in the writing, it's, is this normal? Is this normal? And she's like, why am I not calling the book? Is this normal? And I'm like, because I've been terrible at naming things. Okay. If I'm being honest, it's so terrible at naming things. And she's like, I think that's what we call the book. And it honestly was like, it was so obvious because how many times did I write? Is this normal? And it is the top thing that I get asked from patients, from people on social media is, you know, fill in the blank. Is this normal? Yeah, no. Well, you know what? Let's let's dive in a little bit deeper there than while we're there. We talked a little bit about menstrual cycle and you mentioned, you know, a period longer than seven days, painful period, which that's the one I find so many oh, yeah. clients I have are like, oh, I have my period. So like I'm in so much pain. It's and they just they're oh not that they're okay with it, but they've accepted it as normal. Mm -hmm. Um Let's talk a little bit about some of those common hormonal issues that are thought to be normal, but really aren't. Mm -hmm. the, and the ones I you just want to say, yeah, when it comes to period pain, this is one that um, women gaslight each other about and say like, oh, yeah, of course your period's supposed to be painful. It's supposed to be that way. Like, um, you can anybody who's on TikTok, you can take a trip through my comments and you will see when I talk about period pain not being normal. How many young women are coming in and saying, everyone has different pain tolerances, so it's probably normal for them. No, no, because it doesn't matter what your pain tolerance is. It doesn't matter. If anything uh, interrupts your activities of daily living, we consider that a problem in medicine, anything. And I want everybody, um, I have, I have uh, videos of, of men who are putting on period stimulators. Um, they can't handle it. They can't handle it. They can't even talk. And it's a mild period cramp. We've been told that's normal. And, like, and think about how amazing you are that you're period cramps and you still show up to mom, to work, to do like grocery shopping, like, to do all of these things. And men can't even talk. <laughs> like, you're amazing. Like, you're an incredible human. But to your question about like things that people accept as normal um, and they really aren't, you know, one thing that is, so I will say to understand. Uh, is this normal? The book is set up in three sections. The first section is your sexual self. 
The second is your cyclical self. And the third is a program to help you put all of that together, understand your body and really, you know, fix the areas that you still need fixing. And so when we're talking about that sexual self component, one of the, I think one of the big ones is a women just have a low libido or women are just not interested in sex or it's impossible to have a woman have an orgasm. So why even bother? Why even try? There is uh, what is called the orgasm gap in research. And that orgasm gap is that if you are in a heterosexual relationship, a woman with a man, he's going to have an orgasm. You're like, you know, 60, 70% chance that that's going to happen for you. That is a big gap when you start to compare it to like women who self-pleasure or women who are in relationships with other women. But that gap just between a man and a woman, that's a big pleasure gap. And I, there's lots of people who always like to jump on like, yeah, it's because men suck and men are bad. No, no, no. They have also fallen into the trap of the same myths that we've been handed. And, um, you know, of course, whenever we talk about libido and sexual health, all of these things can be measures of hormone health as well. And so um, I just said a lot about that first section. So I want to stop there. So we can discuss that if you have any questions, then we can definitely go forward on that cyclical self and deeper in the hormones. Yeah, let's, you know what, I think, I feel like what everyone wants to, Dr. Brighton, it's like, we want the answer. So like, if women are listening, and I feel like, I mean, almost all of us go through at least periods of time where our libido's low. And I mean, I can even say pregnant. It's like it goes up and down and up and down. Like <laughs> it's crazy, which also that's during pregnancy. But how, what are ways that if women are feeling like their libido's low, that they can increase it and help like find that pleasure again or just that desire? Mm-hmm. So a lot of times, so I have an entire chapter about libido. And a lot of times it's, not necessarily like you that needs fixing as much as that there's all of these situational factors, there's the hormones, there's all these things going on that really come together. Um, and it's important for people to understand a few things. So uh, the first thing is, is that when it comes to libido, I only hear about changes in libido. And oftentimes people will say like, I have a low libido and fix that. Okay, well, what what has that been like? What has your sexual desire been like your entire life? Oh, it's always been low. Okay, that's probably not an issue with low sexual desire as much as it is of your, you know, more of your makeup. Um, so there's a couple ways that we can look at desire. There's the spontaneous and there's the reactive desire. And so spontaneous desire is what we always see in the media. It's what um, characteristically always gets um, placed on men. Like men just always want to have sex all the time. Like it takes very little input uh, because your operational mode, your mode of being is that like sex, well, I will register sex in my brain. I will be interested in sex. These are also sometimes the people that like when things are stressful, they're like sex is a relief for me because yes, oxytocin is amazing at squashing cortisol's ne- negative effects. So orgasms are good for your stress response. So with that, you may be more of a reactive person. So you think, I have a low sexual desire. Like, I, I, something must be wrong with me because I'm just not into it all the time. And when I talk to my patients about it, as I describe in the book, is that it's usually something where it's like, well, if we actually get things going and like, you know, I'm, I'm getting this pleasurable stimuli, then I am. I am into it. I do want it, but it can take some effort to get there. That doesn't mean you have low desire. It means that you're more reactive. Like you have to have the stimuli. You have to have the input. Now, another layer, all of that is the context, like context of like, who are you doing this with? Um, are, you know, are you having any fear when your kid's going to walk in? That's a big break for a lot of people. So um, there's these brilliant researchers who came up with the sexual sexual excitation and inhibition model. And basically what they describe it as is that you're excited. It's like a gas pedal. Um, and these are things like, oh, mood lighting, like the, the sexy slow jams, the being kissed on your neck, like the stuff we think of that like are supposed to rev the engine and get us like in the mood. Yes, yes, those things are are important. But more important is the break. Because these are the things that and anybody who's ever driven a car, which is a lot of people, knows that if your foot is on the accelerator, but it's simultaneously on the brake, that car is not going to go. Um, or it's going to be like that that, you know, that poor teenager learning to drive a stick shift, right? Where it's like, maybe, no. 
Okay. No. And that's that, that is that sensation of like, okay, I'm into it. I'm getting aroused. I'm losing my arousal. I'm falling back out of it. Okay. Maybe I'm coming back around. These are normal experiences. And when you start to understand them, what you got to understand what your breaks are and that things like, okay, this is one that, um, every woman connects with. And I, a lot of men will like hit back. They like, they clap back on me for this, but like, if you are not, you know, feeling supported and the task sharing is one that is still balanced in your life, that doesn't mean it has to be equal in a household where it's like tit for tat. If I do this, you have to do that kind of thing. But you have to have a partnership where you do feel supported. Okay. And as a woman, you are going to be very vulnerable when it's, you know, when it comes to intimacy. Um, somebody's going to enter your physical body. That's the level of vulnerability that we never really talk about, right? Like there's the like fact that like a lot of us get this negative messaging. We have to get naked in front of someone. Like there's all these other things that go on. But the fact that like your nervous system has to see the message that the environment is safe, that this person is safe, that this person's going to support you. So there's got to be the task sharing, helping out with kids if you have kids, um, making sure that like, you know, you guys are supporting your emotional aspect of your relationship. That's the stuff that's honestly um, a lot more difficult, I'd say, than like, let's just fix your hormones, right? Because we don't see that modeled a lot and there's not a lot of tools for that. So that is all to say that if there are things that are engaging your breaks, you're going to feel like you have a low libido because you can't really get in the mood. but you can't get in the mood when you have all of these stressors basically blocking the sex messages. Like there are messages coming through, like your partner's doing something that you find really attractive or they're doing something that is, um, you know, they're really talented. That's something that can be a turn on for people. Um, like I said, being kissed in the right place or being touched in the way that you like it. Um, maybe you're someone who likes the mood lighting. Like there's all of these sexy signals that come in. But if your brain is occupied with like, oh, that mountain of dishes I have to do, or uh, am I going to get pregnant like that? And I don't want to be and that's a fear or I'm trying to get pregnant. That's no one really talks about like how that's a really common term to feel like you have no libido because that is a stress situation that's like high stakes I'm trying to get pregnant, especially if you're someone who's struggled with fertility or has had pregnancy loss. And so I share all of this for women to understand that your low libido may not have anything to do with you and everything to do, I mean, most of the time it is, everything to do with what is happening in your external environment. I think between seeing studies and hearing, you know, from clients and anecdotally as well, something that women face too in terms of libido is sometimes when your your partner's not into it. And we have placed on men that like they always want like, right? They always want to be sexual. They always are ready to go. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Like your they can also have anxiety. You know, they can also be going through a little bit of depression, which affects their libido and their testosterone. But obviously, mm-hmm. that can be like really hurtful, right? Because we do, we place that expectation of like, well, when I'm ready, you're, you're always going to be ready and waiting. So, yeah. you know, and well, and you bring up such a great point yeah. because it's, it can be hurtful for either party thinking there must be something wrong with me. I must be the issue. They're just not into yeah. me. And that, builds really strong breaks, really strong breaks that can make it harder for the next time. But you're absolutely right. Everything I said can be applied to really anyone on this planet. Um, And I think it's so important that you bring up that, you know, these things affect men as well. Yeah, because I know like that can that like sometimes that can hurt the most. But it's so good just to even picture like that breaking system in your head because I feel like that can help allow you to kind of get rid of it and really like let go a little bit more um but it's also good to hear too that like a lot of the times it's not hormonal issues it's just things that are going on in our daily life or maybe issues we're having with you know our sexual partner that we haven't really addressed with them and so every time Mm -hmm. 
you know, you have more of that breaking system. Um, I'm well, yeah. and that's where the hormones come into play, though, is because mm-hmm. you know people. So people jump right away to like, let's th- t- fix testosterone. And yes, testosterone is sometimes the issue, and absolutely can be. Um, as can estrogen, as can progesterone, and but cortisol is a big blocker in sexual desire if you're in that stress response. And so that's the piece that I think people need to understand is that, yes, it is related to your hormones. But if I came in and just said, okay, let's focus on testosterone. Let's just get your testosterone up. Again, it's just like, it's like I could just, whatever does it for you, I could feed that input all the time. But cortisol saying, no, um, your nervous system is like, I'm about down to cortisol because I want to survive. Cortisol is about survival. And it doesn't know that you're feeling stressed because he didn't take his underwear off the ground again. Um, or, you know, your kid just decided to draw all over the walls because like, you know, your child care didn't show up today and you're expected to be on this meeting. And like all of these things that are real life experience and real life stressors. Your your body, which is essentially like a, a, a very primitive compared to like the fact that we're zooming right now, right? Um, yeah. We are very advanced in our society in a way that our, our body hasn't caught up. And so we, and, and this is where I think it's important to understand because people will say things like just stress less or just, you know, reduce your stress and this, that. And it's like, yeah, but like the body sees these things as stressors. And if the body sees those as stressors, it's going to produce cortisol, epinephrine, norepinephrine. Your nervous system is going to say, you know, sound the alarm. We have to survive. That's what the hormones are saying. These little chemical messengers have delivered that we are not safe. We need to survive. And in that, there is the, you know, very, very expensive thing we want to avoid, which is baby making. And there are people who are like, but I don't want to have a baby. Your your primitive body doesn't care. Okay. Um, and we don't tell it that you don't want to make a baby. Um, but what we can do um, is send the signals that the environment is safe so that it shifts to that very expensive reproductive state, which is let's acquire sperm. Um, and that is really like, you know, what what that body's about in that heterosexual relationship is like, let's make a baby. And so if the environment is really stressful, you know, you're pregnant. How hard would it be to run from a lion or tiger pregnant? How hard would it be to go about this if there's not enough food? How hard would this be, um, you know, if there's a drought, if there's these kinds of, you know, environmental factors going on? And again, your body doesn't know the difference between, like, a boss who's just yelling at you all the time or a legit predator that is growling outside a cave that you're dwelling in. Your body's like, we are not safe. And so with that, it is going to shift your hormones into survival away from any sexy time vibes. And that's how it impacts the hormones. There absolutely are situations where like we do just have hormone imbalances, but too often what I see, and I say this everybody as a hormone doctor, too often what I see is people just jumping into like, fix your hormones, you'll fix your love life. And yet there's so many more layers than this. Um, my, I have a course, Boost Your Desire, and it goes through all of these layers and really helps people understand that it's more than just hormones and hormones are really important, but they can't, you know, anybody, I don't want anyone to feel bad if they've been like chasing hormones or anything like that. I get messages from men all the time. They're like, my wife's not that interested in me. Like what, what one thing can I do to fix her hormones? So she is. And I'm just like, um, the thing that I like, don't ask her, but think about the thing that she's been asking you to do multiple yeah. times over and over. Go do that thing. Don't ask her, don't use her brain, don't borrow it anymore. Go do that thing like really well. Like what what is it? Change a light bulb, go to the grocery for her. Like what is that thing she's been asking? Go do that and you will disengage a break that now your inputs like stand a chance. Um, for any men like sports related, right? Like any sports thing that's being played, there is somebody there that's meant to block you from getting a goal. That is what all of those things, like not following through on those things. That's what those breaks are. They are the blocker. And if you want to make that goal, you want that ball to be received and make it into like what the end zone. I am obviously a nerd and not a sports person. But if you want that to happen, then you're going to need to remove anyone who would block you from making that goal. That's the most efficient way. So whatever whatever you throw into play, that's going to be caught. That's going to make the goal. Yeah, no, it makes it makes total sense. Um, let's 
let's shift into our cycles. And we were talking about earlier how so many women think it's normal to either have heavy periods, long periods, or like really bad PMS symptoms. What are your best suggestions or tips for anyone experiencing that? Or even also to Dr. Brain, if you want to go into like the causes, if it helps them understand like maybe why it's happening. Because I know, I mean, I will say I know as a dietitian, that's usually what I'll attack first. Like, okay, well, you know, you're having heavy periods right now also because like we're not eating enough carbohydrates. We're not fueling ourselves properly in general. Um, I'm kind of attacking it that way first, but I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on what people can do. Nutrition is a fantastic place to start. I think we always should look at starting nutrition and lifestyle first. Um, because those are really the areas that that's where like things begin, right? That's it. I think people often are like, oh, you know, they, they just want that one thing that they can do, uh, which I usually say is sleep. And everyone's like, that's boring. And I'm like, no, but like, it's really everything. Um, yeah. So when you get into is this normal, there's actually a graphic. Um, this graphic shows, and it really isn't as deep as I could go, but how sleep impacts your hormones. and this graphic is actually one that I had made because I kept speaking. So I lecture to physicians and I would talk about sleep and they'd be like, my patients don't want to hear about sleep. And like, yeah, we know sleep's important, but like, yada, yada, yada. Okay. So I came up with this graphic to really show that like, okay, when we go through chronic sleep disruption, um, so they do studies on night shift workers, typically nurses, super grateful that we have them. But what we find is that inflammation goes up. Ovulation can disappear altogether if your sleep is chronically disrupted, but ovulation um, can certainly become more hit or miss each month, which can be more of that perimenopausal picture or that TCOS picture. But really, it's about this sleep issue that's going on because um, the hormone balance and what happens during sleep is so, so crucial. We also see thyroid gets affected. Of course, your adrenal glands are going to get affected. And then what, one that really surprises people is that um, chronic sleep disruption can lead to insulin resistance. And so you can see diabetes. And all of these things can disrupt your menstrual cycle. And can di- so. And what is it really doing? It's disrupting ovulation. When you disrupt ovulation, you disrupt the menstrual cycle. So let me count, clarify that a little bit. We're all taught that the menstrual cycle starts with your period. That's actually false. That was like, I would have not start with the period. It actually starts with ovulation and menstruation follows when an egg was not fertilized and did not implant. And that's an important thing for people to understand because it is beta HCG. It is the pregnancy hormone that keeps the ovaries producing progesterone. And so when there's none of that around, then we're done. It's time to start over. We shed the endometrial lining. And we do teach it from the period because it's obvious, right? When we bleed and ovulation is a little less obvious until you really get clued into it. Um, anybody who, ha- so I will say I, in the book, I bust a myth about like you can get pregnant any time of the month or, um, you can, you know, <clears throat> you can get pregnant and not have your, your, your period. How does that actually work? It is because ovulation comes before menstruation. This is how women are like. After my baby, I got pregnant again, and I don't understand how because I didn't even have my period. That's because your body ovulates first. And when you know that, then you certainly know that if you have PCOS, if you have hyperphalamic amenorrhea, if your period has gone missing because of stress or any reason, the first thing that's going to happen is an attempt to get pregnant. So if you don't want that to happen, you definitely need to be cognizant of that very basic fact that we are not teaching um, in health ed really, I mean, it all in the United States. So that is one piece, uh, you know, in terms of what we're talking about. Um, so I, I played out the sleep. I said the nutrition was really important. So when it comes to things like PMS, for example, uh, PMS responds really well to the detox capacity being at its best. So our ability to eliminate estrogen out of our system. So that's going to look like things like eating fiber. A lot of people don't get at least 25 grams of fiber. 
And having some of that fiber come by way of cruciferous vegetables, which are going to supply you with sulforaphane and DIM, which is going to help with estrogen metabolism. So when it comes to PNRS, we generally have an imbalance of estrogen and progesterone. So we want to make sure that we are supporting our body to clear out the estrogen and at the same time supporting progesterone levels, which sleep, yes, decreasing stress, yes, getting with community, absolutely, and increasing your vitamin C intake. That may even look like supplementing because that can help the corpus luteum. Vitamin B6 can be really beneficial. We want to get like at least about 20 milligrams coming in every day. Um, magnesium. I feel like magnesium is just one that like, I feel like a lot of people are talking about it, but like nobody's really getting like how important it is. And magnesium is something that can help with moods. It can help with sleep because it's involved in how your serotonin gets into melatonin. It can help with cramps. It can help, uh, it can certainly help with, um, you know, feeling, um, and more calm in your body. I mean, progesterone is going to help with that as well, but magnesium can help you feel more calm. So if you're someone who runs anxious or you're feeling like you're at the mercy of stress, magnesium is also something that can help. So talked about a few um, of those nutrients. I'm certainly, you know, sure as a dietitian, you have even more to add. You could actually probably spend like a good eight hours just talking about the nutrition that we would have in place so that we can banish PMS and so that we can get rid of those menstrual cramps. Um, the last one I would say that I feel, and I wonder if you agree, um, is highly problematic in the standard American diet is the amount of omega-6 that we're taking in relative to omega-3. Well, I am talking to an omega-3. Like, no, I definitely agree with you. <laughs> like, as I say that, I'm just like, no, obviously you're going to definitely agree with that because, um, so I think, you know, it's funny when I talk with doctors, you know, doctors, they don't get a lot of nutrition education at all. Um, it really is like, does your patient have scurvy or rickets? No, guys, they're really fine. Um, and they're not, in fact, fine. Um, when it comes to omegas, uh, a lot of doctors, so I, patients are always surprised by this, but a lot of doctors that I teach this to also get surprised at the fact that prostaglandins, which are the hormone-like chemicals that cause your uterus to contract, okay, um, you're going to have a baby soon. Prostaglandins are going to be off the chain and they are going to be making that uterus contract. That's a good thing because that's going to get a baby out. Like that's what we want. But we should experience that level of contractions happening every single month, every time we have our period come around. And there are women who have given birth and they're like, every time I have my period, it feels like early labor. And I'm like, that's not normal, friend. That is not normal. Those prostaglandins are made from omega fatty acids, have them come from omega-6 fatty acids, and we are going to have very significant cramping and probably diarrhea. Also, this is why it's totally normal to poop in labor in case anybody is wondering. Um, yes, people poop during labor because prostaglandins, they don't care. They're like uterus, you bowels, I don't care. Everybody were spasming and everybody cramp it down. And that's also why women get period diarrhea. Um, when my patients come to me and they're like, I always want to evacuate my bowels like when my period comes and we can do have heavy cramps too, like significant. Yes, I do. How'd you know? I am not a mystic. It's because I know how prostaglandins work. Now, if we get them made from omega-3 fatty acids, so we're eating our cold water fish, um, I everybody, I just think that like sardines are so economical and um they're, you know, just like I'm like, can everybody just like get on Pinterest and like just include some sardines in their life? Because they're um as somebody who has um sensory issues. And I, I tend to be like, well, I think that there are actually a lot of recipes that can make it so sardines can happen. But if you have significant cramps, I will say you're going to need to supplement. It's usually at least 2000 milligrams of omega-3 fatty acids. And it can't be just the DHA only like for baby and your brain. It needs to add the EPA in there as well. So if you have higher omega-3s coming in than omega-6s, you still need some omega-6s. Those prostaglandins will still do their job, but they won't be so potent that you're pooping yourself and cramping on the ground with a hot water bottle kind of situation. Well, hopefully you're in your bed with a hot water bottle, but I definitely had um, my own experiences of being like, the heating pad only reaches so far, um, and this is back in the 90s. Um, and I'm next to a wall on the ground with eating that. So that's why that comes up. But the omega-3 fatty acids, that dietary shift, and generally it's going to take supplementation as well. 
can make a tremendous difference when it comes to menstrual cramps. And then not to mention that omega-3 fatty acids are going to help with our mood. They help with lowering inflammation. The less inflamed you are, the better your hormones can be used at the cellular level. And now whatever you're making, you're actually utilizing. Yeah, no, I mean, honestly, you hit like my one magnesium, one of my all-time favorite supplements, and especially for during that time of the month, and I'm so glad we're talking about omega-3s too because it, it's really hard to avoid and not that, right, we still want to get omega-6 fats in our diet, but it's really hard to avoid them in our society. Even if you, you know, some people also like are going out to eat a lot and you're not going to avoid them there. Um, but rather than like, I feel like we're always trying to like take things away, take things away, which yes, if you're eating a lot of processed foods, if you find you're eating out a lot, even just like trying to eat out, you know, one le- one less night a week or something like that. But let's just start increasing the omega-3s to help with that balance and just adding to um, our diet. And I think something too that a lot of women try, or at least I've had with clients that really try to like push back on and avoid is when they're going through their PMS symptoms, something that comes up is like, a desire for more carbohydrates or like, right, like, or more sugar cravings. And it's like, mm-hmm. they're pushing back and pushing back like, no, 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 I shouldn't have it. Which, yes, having a sweet potato versus like a pint of ice cream, your sweet potato is going to be way more beneficial for you. But when your body is craving those carbs during, you know, that time right before your period, lean into it. Try to choose mm-hmm. whole food carbs. But lean into it a lot of the times, it's actually that having that sweet potato with your dinner is going to help you sleep better that night. It's going to mm-hmm. help with those symptoms. And that's going to make once your menstrual cycle is finally there, right? And you're, it's not going to be as heavy or as painful. It is normal to crave more carbs and want to eat more leading up to your period. Progesterone um, actually demands it. Uh, so, so before your period, like the week before your period, progesterone is going to be like, we already did the ovulation thing. So no sex. We don't want sex. We just want to be in sweatpants and we just want to eat like yeah. carby foods because progesterone's like, there might be a baby here. Okay. And so progesterone and insulin actually work to increase your metabolic um, needs. So your caloric intake can increase by five to 10%. Um, and it's actually even easier to lose weight at this time of the month as well because of those metabolic shifts happening. But it is, it is very, very normal for you to want to eat more food and also not be in the mood. And that doesn't mean that you have to binge eat ice cream and avoid sex. These things don't happen. Um, and does that mean eating ice cream is bad? No. But I mean, if you're someone who gets acne with PMS, Dairy meat sugar is going to shift your insulin and your skin health in a way that like um maybe go for like something like coconut bliss. Like maybe like, you know, the the step back is um, you know, we have a coconut-based milk rather than doing that dairy just because of the way that dairy can affect skin and have acne. But you're right, having a sweet potato is gonna make a really big difference in terms of getting better sleep needing your body's need, again, sending your body the signal that the environment is safe. And I think, um, so I, I didn't really always blown away when people, um, believe that what the food pyramid has said is based on science. Um, so I went studying nutrition 20 years ago, a long time. And even then we knew, and that's when it would look the pyramid uh, and then actually made sense to be a pyramid instead of this like little wedge thing that they did. Um, and even at that time, we were taught that was not based on science. It was not based on science because if it was based on science, plants would be the base. Plants would have been the base. We would have seen, well, the, so the research is like five to nine servings of vegetables a day. Like that's like longevity, like amazing thingness, like keep yourself healthy. Um, that's all the good stuff. But we were told instead that grains should be the foundation. Why were we told grains that they should be the foundation? Because of lobbyists. Lobbyists are just yeah. like really good. I mean, kudos, like, man, they're so good at their job. Like, praise them for the work like, that they're good at it, but not so good for like all of us who are like, you know, are trying to navigate nutrition and like just how to be in our bodies. So 
We would also see like more cold water fish. It would have been a lot less of this like heavy on the dairy. There's actually no reason that we really have to consume dairy, except it's delicious. Um, so just so everybody knows, I'm not like a, a, a hater. Like you, you send me to Paris and I'm at the Fromage and I am eating all the cheese. And, and, the, and the gentleman there will be like, you want to try this and that? And I'm like, yeah. Sign me up because she's delicious. And so um, I do just want to say all that because I think that in the wellness space, there's a propensity towards perfection and um, that takes the joy out of life. And I don't know about you, but like, why are we even here if like, I'm not enjoying myself? Like if I have to just like eat perfectly every single time out, like forget it. Like I want to be able to enjoy myself. And so there's a way to eat that is enjoyable, but also curing and supporting your body. Um, but I say all of this because when I talk about like grains are actually not necessary, like they're not totally necessary. You can get, you know, great fiber from them. Um, and like we've got fortified grains. So if you need to get like, you know, that's the only way you're getting your folic acid. So I just want to say, though, that like you could be sustained on plants. And why I say that is because if your grains are taking the place of plant. We, we want to talk about shifting that if it's economical for you, if it's possible for you to be able to do that. Now, when I talk about like some of these dietary shifts that work for people and can really help their hormones, um, I'll get met with this silly argument. Like, um, I know not, I don't want to shame anybody for this argument, but it, it like makes me laugh because they're like, oh, well, I don't trust anyone who talks about like, you know, reducing or eliminating an entire food group. And I'm like, you mean the arbitrary food groups that we meant? Like these, we classify, we put these things together to like try to, no, like that, like them being food groups, like that doesn't really matter. Like it's a good system to like teach things and start to understand things. But what I really want from people to understand is that plants, super, super crucial, important. Most people aren't getting enough of them and you have to honor what's true for your body. So if you're somebody that's like, man, I don't feel so great with grains like as I'm coming off of my period and I'm feeling like so much better like eating, um, you know, fresh fruits and vegetables and having more salads, like that's normal. If you then move into the luteal phase and you're like, no, I like, really do want oatmeal. Like that's what I'm, I'm feeling like I'm craving. Oats are a great source of fiber. Can we also like add protein? Like maybe you have three eggs on the side or you have... um gas bacon <laughs> you can do that um you can also you know bring in nuts and seeds i um i had fish oil to make its oats um so adding extra fat because that is going to help um <laughs> i have a fish oil thing pretty much um but that's just going to help you feel full longer i actually eat oats i'll eat gluten-free oats and i don't cook them um, I actually eat them raw and I just pour, uh, you know, berries and nuts and seeds and all kinds of like, it's a lot of fiber that's going into that bowl. Um, and with that, that keeps me full longer. If I eat like cooks oatmeal, I'm starving. If I'm in my luteal phase, get out of my way in 30 minutes because the hangry is going to be so bad, so bad. And that is something that, um, that was a lot of trial and error for me to learn. But that's what's true for me. And that's what I want people to understand is that what is true for, you know, one person to the next isn't going to be true for you. But the one thing we can agree on is that we definitely as a society need more plants coming in. Um, so my fish oil thing I have to tell you is that, um, so my 10-year-old now, he, like, he, I don't have a of fish oil from him. He would go in and he'd straight chug it. He's just like, hmm, love this. I had Kansas sardine. I caught him as a toddler opening up and eating cans of sardines and those fat little hands in the sardine can. I still get the willies about getting, getting cut. I'm just like, oh, man, I'm fine if my daughter wants to eat all the sardines. Just touch your hands in those cans, friends. Um, but my, like everything that like I got, like I think really easy on my first, my second will not take liquid fish oil. I am a smuggler. I am smuggling it into things. Um, so will not take his liquid fish oil. Uh, has also taken off his diaper and pooped in various places of the house. Like, oh. kinds of things that I'm like, I was, I didn't know how easy I had it with my first and yet I thought it was so hard. Um, but yes, so people are like, why are you hiding it in the oatmeal? Because the toddler needs his fish oil, but the toddler, he has his own mind made up about that fish oil. Yeah, no, it's so funny how to write. Like my my son, we I give it to him every night, which I will say, I swear the nights that 
I forget to give it to him, those are the nights he wakes up from his teeth hurting, from teething. Mm. But he will take it. He loves it. He loves the flavor. You know, sometimes I'm like, I don't really know why. Um, But you can hide fish oil into anything that's room temp or less just nothing too hot, which I feel like people wouldn't do anyways because then it like you can really... Like yeah, you then you taste tell. it and you probably yeah see it. exactly it's great in smoothies. But um, it's great. Just so yeah, people exactly. know that pain phenomenon. That's because cortisol declines. So cortisol helps with inflammation and it helps with pain. So during the day, your pain might not be so bad, and then the pain gets worse at night, and that's because cortisol has to has to go away so the melatonin can rise, um, and so your your body can be repaired by all your hormones signaling. And yet that's when pain can be its worst. Um, and so when people, you know, tell me like, oh, I have really painful cramps and their cramps make it hard to fall asleep. I'm like, you know, a lot of my patients don't want to use ibuprofen or NSAIDs. I don't blame them. Yeah. It's not great for your gut, but also not sleeping is not great. And and just being at the mercy of pain, like these natural therapies that we talked about, they take time to work. They can take three months before you see significant change. And so um, it may be that you know taking 200 milligrams of ibuprofen at night, which can also help with heavy bleeding, is the thing you need to do to be able to stay asleep at night. Um, it's funny that you say that though, because my um, so my youngest or my oldest, sorry, the um, fish oil chowder, as we can refer to him, um, his language was it was really early, and he, um, I mean, his vocabulary, he was speaking sentences um, before he was two. And my now 19-month-old, I do notice that when I can get that fish oil in, because he catches on sometimes, it's difficult. He does make verbal leaps. It's very, very interesting. Like, he started walking earlier. He's definitely, like, more motor skills. And, and the oldest is, like, more um, cognitive. And I can see those differences in them. But it was my husband who was like, okay, you are getting the fish oil in regularly. And now he's putting two words together and it's less of this uh, and more of actually trying to talk. Um, and so that's just like an anecdotal end of one. But I'm like, I yeah. mean, how could it not? Right. Their little brains oh, need it's those. So, it's so, I mean, and there's the research to back it up. But it's funny. We always say uh, with my niece, my sister, like religiously, because she was her first, gave her the fish oil and like. But then she was like, OK, she's getting too smart right like could have been the fish oil could just be her except but she's like she's getting too smart she stopped giving it to her and then with her second she's like no we're not even giving to it and we're like oh yeah we can we can see a little bit of a difference (laughs) yeah it's really interesting again it's all anecdotal and you know we're having fun they're also like different people you know so i have to just like respect it like but i will say uh for moms who are listening um Oh, shoot, I forgot her handle on um, TikTok. There is a um, physical therapist who's a pediatric physical therapist. And she had videos of these special exercises to do with children, not to try to get them to walk early, but to make it so they're more successful and sitting up sooner. Um, you know, and well, not sooner. I shouldn't say sooner. That's like the wrong language. Just like successful when it's their time. And I did these exercises with my youngest. I never did this with my oldest. And then he started walking at 10 months. And I was like, no, that was dumb. What did I do with that? Because now and and his motor skills did develop. Like, uh, I'm doing all of these things. Like his motor skills took off. But then I was like, you've got the body of a toddler in terms of your ability, but bringing up a baby. And this is so bad. It's a combination. I was just like, I mean, he's like 11 months and he's starting to run. And I'm like, oh. You don't understand gravity yet, friend. But you understand all of the, the consequences and actions are going to catch up with you. And now, like, my heart as a mother is, like, under ample stress. Um, Also, really oh common times gosh. to have low libido and feel like, you know, you're exhausted at the end of the day because you're stressed. But this developmental milestone. I know. And there's so many, I mean... Yeah, I can't even predict. It's funny, like have almost having our second. I'm like, yeah, you just can't predict how different one from number two will be. And oh, the, it's the joys of parenthood and lack of sleep and all the things. Um, and we yeah. can go on and on. And when you honestly, see them interact, yeah. I have to say, like, that's oh. just like everything for me. Even when they fight, yeah. because 
you know, my first 10, he spent eight and a half years as an only child. Um, and he just thought this was going to be like the Disney special. Um, you know, the, like how Disney, like, of like, there's a siblings who love each other. And he's like, that was going to be like all the time. And then he's like, this baby's annoying. He's crying. He's taking my toys. He's drooling on stuff. And like, just to see, um, that frustration. And then now that the toddler has his own personality about things and he'll run in and he'll be like, like telling him to stop on stuff. Anyhow, our, we could like to talk about that. I don't think everybody's interested in hearing all of that. But let me just say, like, I do really enjoy that. No, that is what I'm I'm most excited to see my son be an older brother, for sure. Um, well, honestly, Dr. Brayson, this has been so good. I st- I still have a list of questions, but I know we could go on and on all day long. Um, but are there any lifestyle factors that we did not touch on that you think are, I mean, you know, we touched on sleep, nutrition, um, some supplementation that are most impactful to bringing our hormones into balance. Just like if you can run a list, just so people have an idea in their head of things they should be considering. Movement and the right kind of movement for your body. So not a lot of people realize how crucial exercise is to thyroid hormone. So without movement, we don't convert T4 to T3 as effectively, as efficiently. So T3 is your active thyroid hormone. It is um, going to contribute to a happy mood, to having ample energy, to having skin that is not dry and cracking, to keeping your hair on your head, to having regular bowel movements and having regular menstrual cycles. Like it does a lot. And so a lot of times when we talk about exercise, people right away, I mean, it's something they don't have the heart to tell people in real life that are like so jazzed about CrossFit. They're like, come to CrossFit with me. And they're like those, those, um, you know, we all know those people that are just like diehards about that. Like I used to be a group fitness instructor. Um, you know, there were the people that were like, oh, come to spin. I used to teach spin, but they're like, come to spin. It's like the best thing ever. And I was like, I find sitting on a bike really boring unless I'm teaching it because then I can actually like be, you know, having a good time with people. It's a lot different. So with that though, um, I think that the idea is always like, we, we've got to break this really heavy sweat and got to go hard. Um, with the exercise, we actually want to be tuning into our body. If you exercise and you find that three days later, you're still sore, you did too much. And that's not a bad order. That is not something where it's like, oh, wow, yes, I'm really sore. So that's a good thing. You're going to be sore when you try things for the first time, especially like strength training and stuff, because your body is getting used to it and adopting. You don't need to be sore every time to have a really quality workout. And you don't need to go hard every time. So um, this is something back in my days of um, being a group fitness instructor, I would always give people permission to honor their bodies. And it wasn't because I understood to the level that I do now. I just recognized that there were there there were those people in my classes who just like would dial back sometimes and then the next week they'd be super strong and I thought like you know they're they're sick or things like that but as it turned out in having conversations and the way I've come to learn the science and with my patients there's an ebb and flow in your cycle and if you respect the phases that your body is going through so as testosterone is rising as you're getting ready to ovulate okay so you're going to get in the mood because your body's really smart and like hey, let's get that testosterone up your estrogen's going up now we're feeling like a lot more energy you can lift heavier you can you feel stronger but like leading up to a period you may need to dial back although i say that like there are plenty of athletes who don't have to like dial back and maybe the way that you're thinking right now in your head but you, you know, this is something that the um, U.S. soccer team, the women's soccer team actually used their menstrual cycles to train and they won the world. Okay. So like that's how profound this is and respecting and listening to your body. And so why we want to do all of that is because we're not walking around monitoring our hormones all the time. If progesterone's asking you to dial back, if insulin's asking you to eat a little bit more, if, you know, testosterone's saying like, let's hit it, let's go hard you intuitively can feel these things. And so respecting that is really important. And I will also say, as women, we need to build muscle. We absolutely need to build muscle. So my master's research was in sarcopenic obesity. Build as much freaking muscle as you can and eat your branch chain amino acids, people, because what I saw happening in my research, it is very scary. Um, And that is going to be something that like, here I am talking to you at 40, 
still being only being like, I need to build more muscle. Um, you know, in your 20s, you want to be setting up this whole foundation because the issues of your 60s, those are the problems you started creating in your 20s. Let's not talk about our teenage years, okay? We didn't know. We didn't know, okay? But every, everything that you do now in terms of your physical activity, building skeletal muscle, building bone health, that's going to have a positive influence on your hormones. It's going to help your transition into menopause. It's going to prevent fractures and falls in the future. All of that is really important. And the other thing is walking. So this is something I see people all the time be like, oh, you're just walking. Oh my gosh, I get all my patients walking because it is a fantastic way to de-stress. It's also like a great way to get movement in your pelvis. I y'all are like sitting for a very long time. Um, but in addition, walking is going to help with optimizing those stress hormone levels. Um, when you're doing cross-body action, it actually gets both sides of the brains, top, top brains, one brain. Both set lobes of the brain talking a lot better. So you're problem solving. You help move trauma out of the body. Like there's so many positive benefits of walking. And really, I wanted to strength train, but if all you did was walk every day as a starting place with your health, you're going to have a tremendous impact on your hormones and, um, you know, beyond just the thyroid. So I just want to share all of that piece of exercise yeah. because, um, as we're talking right now, I know this is not coming out during New Year, New Year, but like the fallout, which is going to be there um, when this ad does air, which is the like, you know, everybody in the diet industry being like, bikini body ready, um, you know, make sure you're headed as hard as possible. Uh, you should work out until like you throw up. Like that kind of mindset is actually not great for our hormones. And that is more of the let's take the box that men fit in and try to squeeze women into it and act like they're the same methodology that has really gotten us, gotten us into a lot of trouble in medicine, in our own lives, and certainly with our hormones. Yeah, no, I I appreciate it. And you know what? I think the biggest thing too, Dr. Brayley just said is like, listening to your body and then like following what it's saying. Like if it's saying, hey, I need a break. Or no, like I'm actually ready to go. Like I actually think a good workout will make me feel better right now. Yeah. Following that lead. And that's kind of with everything. But it's like it's, you know, it goes back to what did we talk about? Sleep, nutrition, and exercise. And yeah, right. Like I'm so glad we got into the specifics of it because that's where I think people like really need the answers and kind of miss the mark because they're like, well, what am I supposed to do? So I mm-hmm. I can't tell you how helpful this is, not only for myself, but I know for our listeners. Um, we love to end every episode with a little rapid fire Q&A. So three questions with first thing yeah. that comes to mind. What is your favorite? I know. No, I promise. No, it'll be. Okay, you, you'll be honest. I promise. What is your favorite okay. de-stressing practice or support tool? Uh, I would say baths like taking being in water is very uh, very helpful for my nervous system um so whether that is being in the ocean um i do love to snorkel to de-stress um being in a pool moving or being in a bath with lots of magnesium salt that is something that is always very soothing to my nervous system i just need to be wrapped in like that warm water i am with you uh coffee or tea coffee how do you take it? I'm drinking tea right now, it? but um, I really prefer if it's good coffee. I prefer it black. Um, otherwise, I will make my you know self a latte. I have a an espresso yes. machine that I my husband has been in charge of doing that. I just figured it out, so um, I'm very proud of myself for that. I'm like I can make myself one. <laughs> I was going to say, and once you realize how easy it is, we just got one. And I'm like, oh, this is much easier than using my French press. Um, favorite home-cooked meal? Oh, gosh. Um, I have actually mastered my grandmother's pizzoli, and that has been something lately that I'm just like, oh, so, so good. Um, but yeah, but if I, but just so people know, um, that is very labor intensive. It really, my favorite, like lazy, I don't have time, but honestly, I can eat at any time is, um, like bison or beef, um, oh, just yeah. like ground meat and broccoli. Like I just love, yeah. <laughs> um, and my husband will know, like, oh, you know, 
you're having a, a long day. Do you want some beef and broccoli? I'm like, yes. Yes, we do want beef and broccoli. And it'll help support those hormones, honestly, too. Well, Dr. Brighton, yeah, thank you like, so you know, much. We didn't even talk yeah. about... Elf. I know. We didn't even talk about like red meat and... <laughs> yeah, all or things. protein needed I mean, for uh, hormone detox. All of it. <laughs> there's so many things. I mean, if you want to come on again, you know I'm super fan. So we would love to have you back. Um Everybody's going to have to let us know in the comments if they want that because we did take some tangents and talked about my kids. So if you would like us to go off again um, and talk about nutrition and hormones and you, even better, if people have questions, they should drop it in the comments below because yeah. then we could just make an Please. episode of like your listeners' questions. That would be really fun. I would love that. Um, and speaking of like, where can people, I mean, your Instagram's amazing, but where can they follow you? Where can they potentially work with you, get your book? Tell us all the things. Well, is this or I'm going to be found at any bookstore. You, you go to a bookstore. They're going to have it. And of course, everybody loves to go online. But if you support indie bookstores, I just think that's something very special. Uh, so that's where you can find Is This Normal. You can find me on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at drjoleenbrighton. And you can find me at my main hub, which is drbrighton.com, D-R-B-R-I-G-H-T-E-N.com, Brighton Like the Sun. And I've got tons of resources there where it comes to women's health. Like, really, it's hard to find a topic that I haven't written about and that I haven't provided information um, on. So tons of information there. And then if you want a really deep dive into that stuff, uh, is this normal? It's like a 500-page book. We did not hold back. I turned in like 140,000 words, and I think in the end, 126,000 made it in. So people understand most health books are about 60,000 words. It's double because I really was like, let's go all in. Let's give them everything uh, and, and then some. I love it. Um, well, thank you again so much. Hopefully, we will do this again. So yes, drop your questions below if you have any and I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And it was so lovely getting to meet you after a year of us uh, trying to make this happen. So thank you again. This week's actionable step is to start to take note if you're experiencing any of the symptoms Dr. Brighton discussed that are not normal and utilize the strategies we discussed today or seek out help from a specialist like Dr. Brighton. Thank you for listening to Naturally Well by Nordic Naturals. For something to do in between episodes, follow me on Instagram at livewellwithkate, where I typically live on my stories, providing a variety of daily health and wellness tips. Naturally Well is hosted by myself, Kate Turner, and produced by Andrew Steven. If you have any questions, please send us an email at podcast at nordicnaturals.com, and we hope to answer your question on air. If you like this show, please tell a friend, share an episode, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.